HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, hey, thanks to Good Beer Passport for supporting Heritage Radio Network. Get your Good Beer Passport now to explore some of New York's best craft beers. Learn more at goodpassports.com, a supporter of New York City's July Good Beer Month. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 in the Good Beer Seal. Today is Tuesday, June 6th, 2017. And that's right, it's a special episode on Cider. We've got East Coast and West Coast and uh, got some great guests joining us today at Heritage Radio Network. So I'd like to welcome everyone to the show. Everybody introduce yourselves. Hey, I'm Nat West of Reverend Nat's Hard Cider in Portland, Oregon. And we're so psyched, man. You're, you're rolling out in New York City, finally. Yep, we're, we're big in Oregon, Washington, California, Japan, and but now we're in New York this week, as of this week. Welcome, dude. Thank you. Cool. I'm uh, Dan Pucci of Wasail, which is a cider bar in Lower East Side. Matt. And he's our, our resident New York City cider expert. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. And we're going to talk about that, because you really came, you were interested in wine and cider, and next thing you know, you're, you're the sommelier at the best cider bar in New York. Pommelier. Pommelier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Love that. Hey, I'm Matt Maletta with uh, Crux Fermentation Project out of Bend, Oregon, and we are a brewery, not a cidery. Well, you guys are launching in New York City, too, now, right? Absolutely, yeah. I'm out here this week. Uh, we're launching in the market for the first time. That's great, man. Welcome to New York. Thank you. Uh, Gidon Cole, I am the founder of Original Sin Cider. Um, been around a little while, in, uh, based in New York as well. A little while. Yeah. Long <laughs> while. Yeah. Well, he's our original guy. So, uh, Nat, earlier you were saying that you, know, you, you give a, a cider class, and it, you often uh, feature Original Sin Cider. Yeah, I, I actually started drinking Original Sin originally. And I, was, uh, I remember actually uh, picking apples. This was in probably 2011, picking apples and listening to Beer Sessions Radio, listening to Gidon and Steve Wood from Farnham Hill talk about New York, New England uh, cider scene. So it's, kinda, it's pretty awesome to be sitting here with one of my sort of uh, role models, cider role models from many years ago. You know what's cool about this show is that you, you've been out for a couple of years. You come and visit New York, teasing us. 
you know, you've got a thing up your sleeves called Cider Seminary, mm. which I sat through a year and a half ago, and you, you know, picked 20 of your best ciders from, in the world. You know, how did you first come to cider? Because I'm, I'm excited to have you here at product in New York City. Excellent. Yeah. So I started making cider um, uh, about 12 years ago. My neighbor had an apple tree in his backyard. And uh, I was a big beer drinker. But the first cider I ever had was my own. I didn't really know what cider was supposed to be. Uh, I'm primarily a beer drinker even to this day. So I can't, I've always come into the cider with a beer drinker's attitude. Um, uh, I know a lot about home brewing, um, so a, I'm a big proponent of beer yeast. Uh, I love putting hops in cider and other ingredients as well. Process matters a huge amount to me. I'm less interested in the you know provenance of the fruit, uh, unlike some of the producers out here. So I think having um, you know I'm overall a, a major proponent proponent of cider. Overall, my ciders are relatively unusual in flavor, so it. My ciders work best when there are more traditional ciders alongside them uh, on the menu or on the shelf as well. And I think that's something that New York really has going for it is a, a pretty strong uh, self-identity. They, they, they know who they are. They make f- New Yorkers generally make farm-based cider, um, and uh, I don't. So it's, it's a really good um, uh, dichotomy that we can th- bring differences to the market. Dan, you know, you're, you're, to me, again, you're my cider pommelier expert. You know, I, I want to give us a sense of what East Coast versus West Coast is in terms of ciders. Well, uh, I really think the market's still evolving in a very large part of the world. Um, generally, we look at the difference between, like, East Coast being, like now saying, more farm-based, focused on, like, heirloom and older varieties of apples, um, focusing more on the provenience of the fruit and the kind of terroir and the place where the apples come from generating a really good product. Well, on the West Coast, um, we gen- I generally feel like most of the ciders are, uh, use some of the quality fruit, but at the same time are reliant upon other ingredients as well to make the ciders really have a lot of personality to them at the same time. And Matt, you're, you're in from Bend, Oregon, I know, with Crux. Correct, yes, beer. sir. Well, you know, what's, what's the cider scene like for you out there? Cider scene, I think, in Oregon, Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's strong. Um, we've seen a lot of growth in, uh, in cider uh, cider makers in Bend alone, you know, we have a we have a few that are doing really well, um, and we're seeing more and more of the tourists coming through town, visiting the cideries, and more and more cider on tap. I know at the at our pub, at the brewery, um, ciders are our only option, well, along with wine, but uh, for non beer drinkers, and we cruise through a ton of cider there, so it's definitely a uh, definitely a growing strong scene. And you can regularly get Reverend Nats on the on tap at the pub at Crux. That is correct. <laughs> the pub at Crux. I actually thought you guys were cider too. I was like, everyone's cider. It's like, oh, cool, Crux Morgan. And I was like, wait a minute. Oddball out, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, and Gita, you know, you started back in 1996. I still can't believe it's been that long. That's so you, you've kind of paid your dues in every way, but you've also been noted for you've traveled the whole country, haven't you? I have traveled. I actually met uh, Reverend Nat when he was still making cider out of his garage in, in Portland. Mm-hmm. So I can attest to the fact that he did start small. Um, but I have. A, it's been very fortunate to travel uh, the states as well as England um, and Spain. Um, and get a good sense of the cider markets in different parts of the country. So, but in a lot of ways, you know, you've seen the cider market. Like, yeah. it, not just get a sense of the cider market, yeah. you get a sense of many cider markets over the last twenty plus years. Right? I yeah. mean, I think that the cider market in every state is a case study in and of itself. Um, maybe more so than even the beer market. It's just so different depending where you go. Partially based on apples that people have access to, um, and then even within those two generations, two decades that I've been in this industry. 
it's, it's evolved as well during that period as well. So. How many other uh, producers were on the market back in '96 when, when you started? Uh, there were, you know, it's hard to say because there were small people. There always were okay. small people making cider, but there were at least, a, um, I would say, a, you know, as far as national brands, only a few. Okay. Um, as far as uh, potential artisanal brands, there probably were a couple dozen, as as opposed to today where there might be as many. I mean, it's, it's, I heard that the figure is 707 cideries, according to CiderCon, mm. in February, but I bet you it's closer to 1,000 cideries today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. You know, when you first started, I mean, selling cider, I mean, you were breaking a whole new category, weren't you? Yeah. When, and when I started, um, majority of bars in, bars in New York City did not have cider in the market. Uh, the very first cider I ever had in New York City, some people, maybe, Jimmy, you can go back to that period, was uh, w- w- uh, Woodpecker, because... Mm. Uh, Balmers, when they launched in the U.S., they didn't want to send Strongbow, which is their best-selling cider, to the U.S. because they thought Americans had uh, a sweeter palate. And so they sent Woodpecker. And Woodpecker went from being a huge brand to almost overnight um, losing a great deal of its market share when Magners was launched here. And over the course of 20 years, certainly, there's been so many cases where brands have gotten have risen and kind of fallen as a new product sort of taken their place. You know, my so. fir- this is a bad my first memory of cider. We'll, we'll do that around the room. Mine was watching absolutely fabulous the English show on on PBS, and the old you know hippie chicks they were making fun of their daughter because she would only drink cider. <laughs> I don't know what your first image of of cider was. You know, I definitely coming from the beer background, uh, beer. Cider is consumed like beer. It's oftentimes priced like beer. It's poured frequently in the same glassware, served in the same kind of bars, at least out, out west. So, um, but yeah, again, I didn't. And the first cider I ever had was my own. I didn't know what cider was supposed to taste like. I thought it was supposed to taste like apples, not something transformed. Um, so there's this thing called cider, and then yeah, I remember you know squeezing that juice the first time with this with my daughter helping me, and then uh, you know apple juice, and then cider. I was I was a little bit. This doesn't taste like beer at all. <laughs> That's what I remember saying. Myself. Just a quick, uh, actually, quick if I want to say something, on, to sorry, if I can say something on your end, is that one thing you've seen over twenty years or twenty-one years in this industry is how so- so- cider's gone from having a really negative connotation twenty-one years ago to being almost the exact opposite today. So I think that's one thing that's clearly changed. And so. quick shout out, what, what are we drinking? Um, so all my ciders are, today I'm proud to say, are made fr- with freshly pressed uh, New York apples. Uh, we're drinking the extra dry cider in 16-ounce can. Uh, we're trying to use, New York State has a, the largest diversity of varieties in the country. And we're trying to use, uh, we, we use apples such as the Cortland Empire, depending on the time of the year, as well as um, golden russets um, that give you a great deal of acid. So it's an, a cider with a good deal of acid, and yet... Uh, very uh, little residual sweetness. There's only 0.8 bricks of sugar in that cider. So, now, Jimmy, you mentioned earlier on, I, I like to use this cider when I teach these classes. We, we might drink 20 or something ciders over the course of a couple hours. I like to use this cider as sort of the reference a little bit. Um, it's certainly, as Guidon said, got a lot of acid, so it kind of it kind of wipes your mouth clean and whatever else you had in it before. Um, gets your mouth ready to, to drink drink more cider. Um, we also you will use scoring charts like this is a relatively high acid and really relatively low sugar. So as you're learning more about cider, you can sort of use this as a reference point to other ciders that you might drink. You know, for me, for, having Dan here from Wasail, you know, to me, I, I like the wine aspect of cider. I like the, how dry, you know, this original sin yeah. is. You know, what did you bring for us, Dan? Uh, I brought two bottles today. I brought one from a producer out on Long Island called Entresso Flora, which is will be licensed, and he's licensed now, but will be 
production still in the next few months or so, um, which is made from Wild Forge apples from 2014, which is pretty cool and really interesting. I haven't had a cider in a while, so hopefully it's still good. Um, looks kind of cloudy. I shook it up. You know, you, mu- you must have had a great experience. I mean, for how many years now? Over two years you've been at Wasail. Yeah, two and a half years. How, how did you get that job? Um, totally randomly. I worked in the wine industry for about five years before that um, and want- got kind of jaded in the wine industry and wanted to do something a little different, something, something a little new. Um, and, like, I knew a bit about cider. I was, I had drank it a bunch and really enjoyed it and through the stories and people I met about it. So I just kind of, like, dove into it full blast and really just kind of, like, latched on to the industry. And the industry's been amazing so far. So it's great. I love it. So, Nat, let's go through your cider seminary. Again, it's like mm. the best cider class I ever sat through. You start with Original Sin. Mm. Start know. with Original Sin. I, 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 only, I only teach uh, unflavored, that is, apple only ciders. I think it's kind of unfair to get into other flavors because at that point you can, you can there's there's nowhere to stop. There's nowhere to. I mean, there is an unlimited world of cider flavors out there. I mean, if you've only got two hours and uh, you know twenty something ciders before everybody's drunk, might as well just stick with one sort of topic. Yeah. So we go. Um, we typically start with um, with the, with one of the original sins. Um, it, it, well, I always put a couple of my own ciders in there in, in the right places. We usually start with um, English cider. Aspal is a fantastic cider. Um, it's very light um, English. We always do the West Country ciders, Tom Oliver's, um, Hogan's. Uh, what else can we get West Country in, in New York area? Uh, Oliver's. We can get uh, Hogan's. Hogan's sometimes, yep. as well as um, um, Hex, maybe? Or? Hex, yep. Yeah, sure. Hex, definitely not a light cider. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I try to do some sweet ciders, some dry ciders from um, West of England. It's a very tannic. Um, then we'll do uh, French, which is always really easy to drink. Um, a little bit of bitter sweets in there. Generally sweeter. Um, I like um, I like Clos Normand. I like uh, Etienne Dupont. I like I love Bordelais. Eric Bordelais. Um, sometimes I'll sneak a Perry in there. The French make amazing Perries, and oftentimes they drink like the French Perries drink like French ciders as well. Um, then we do a bunch of American ciders, focusing on single varieties. America is one of the few places um, in the world that we do a, a huge amount of. We, we love to do single variety ciders. Um, and then I finish off with Spanish, both Basque and Asturian. And generally speaking, people despise those ciders, so it's a good way to end. And then I, I frequently do a little little top at the end with some pomo, because yeah. um, pomo is like a great aperitif to finish off the night. I always feel like the Spanish ciders are always very divisive. Yeah. Um, for me, like one of my original cider memories was like was I was took a trip to like San Sebastian and I, like was in Spain, like not knowing about cider, and was like. Oh shit! What is this stuff? And it, was, it was awesome, just so like fresh and amazing and flavorful. I was like, wow, this is totally different and totally unlike anything I've ever had before. And just loved it. And then I came back to New York and started buying as much as I could possibly could, and mm-hmm. buying more Spanish and Basque ciders. I'm like, wow, these are really special and really cool. And you buy some that were really inconsistent because they're probably older or funky or too weird, but they're still amazing and still really great. But if you, if you drink in in one sitting, if you drink Spanish cider, if you drink um, you know, some, oh yeah, it seems weird. But if you also drink like New England single varieties from like West County, for instance, and and, the, and then if you drink some um, you know Northwest produced ciders, you drink some English, some French. That's like an entire universe of flavor. Yeah, that's so diverse. Uh, and, and you know, we're not even getting into hop ciders or some of the weird yeah. stuff that I make at that point. Yeah, I think it's really ciders. Like for me, cider is such a diverse category, and there's so many different things that possibly exist within the cider category. But oftentimes we end up getting pigeonholed into a, into a single category as though we're one product altogether. Yeah, right. Uh, like right now, I just poured a, uh, a glass of the uh, Redbird Still Barrel, which is from 2015. It's uh, from the Finger Lakes. Uh, it's one of my favorite producers here in, here in the Northeast. 
Um, it's a blend of mostly heirloom varieties that spent uh, one year in oak with lots of botanage, uh, old neutral oak barrels, um, lots of leaves stirring, uh, bottled still. And it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. It's a really rich, full, complex, savory, minerally cider, uh, which is really cool. It's a really amazing cider. And it's totally, it's totally different from a lot of other ciders that end up being put in the same category as a dove. Actually, I would mention one thing about the Finger Lakes. The Finger Lakes really is a region unto itself, um, heavily influenced by Cornell. And Eric, who produces the cider, um, works at the uh, orchards at Cornell. Yeah, he manages um, orchards. So, um, so yeah, I think you just have a very different type of product being made up there. Yeah. It's very special. So. Well, cheers. That was a great one. Yeah, delicious. Hey, we'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Good Beer Passport is a supporter of today's show. Get your Good Beer Passport now and you'll be able to enjoy draft beers and flights at some of the city's best bars and breweries all summer long. They're only $37 each and redeemable between July 1st and September 4th. A portion of the proceeds benefit God's Love We Deliver and Heritage Radio Network. That's us. Learn more at goodpassports.com, a supporter of New York City's July Good Beer Month. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, we're talking cider, East Coast, West Coast. Reverend Nat, Reverend Nat's Hard Cider, has, has suddenly arrived in New York City after a long wait. Nat, thank you so much for premiering on the show with us, man. I'm happy to be here. I, this is uh, quite an honor to hang out I with mean, you. You came out to a couple Cider Week events, and you've been really checking out New York City for a couple of years. And what, what took so long for you to get here? Um, I think you know there's some always, there's always sort of the business end of distribution challenges, but I think for a long time it was trying to figure out um, how we could fit into the market, whether the market um, sort of quote unquote needs us. Um, trying to, I don't, I definitely don't want to step on anybody's toes. You know, we we have a very New York has a very very strong uh, you know market. They know what they make, and we make uh, you know our perspective on cider, my perspective on cider is almost the complete opposite um, from the way New York perspective is. So. Um, it was really important for me to figure out how to describe our ciders to other people, and at the same time, I have a lot of respect for what's being made here, and um, I think I'm ready for that. So what do you guys think of, like, say, New York in particular versus Oregon? We know there's a lot of orchards here. Well, yeah, and New York State has um, has ate a lot of old varieties and amazing fruit that we grow here in New York State. Um, and at the same time, that they don't quite have the diversity of which in Oregon. Uh but also here in here in New York State, we have um, I don't know we have a lot of talented producers who are really in, we have a lot more smaller farms that are kind of pushing along to making more of the estate grown orchard style of cider. Um, it's kind of very much the model for for many producers here in, in Northeast, uh, not just in New York State. But it's more because of like in all these farms are either people who want to make cider or it's because of people who have these like very large diversified farms, especially uh, along like Lake Ontario or some Hudson Valley where they get. 5,000 people a weekend will come to their harvest festival every single, all, all fall. And so, well, I already sell them apples and pie, and let's sell them cider, too, because I have apples. And it's another value-added product for everybody. I think I would exactly agree with that, that um, in New York, it's obviously the 85 cideries now in New York State, so it's fairly diverse, but we're much more the case of you'll see a state cideries here, um, influenced, started by people with orchard backgrounds, where I think the West Coast is much more influenced by the beer industry. 
um, and tend to be, you know, in 12 ounce can formats as opposed to wine bottle formats. So, yeah. And I think even on the, even as like, even on the other side, there's much more history of wine producers on the West Coast buying in fruit. When most of the winemakers here on the East Coast in Mission New York State are all mostly, again, a state grown grapes and things mm-hmm. like that. You know, now you, your story is interesting, you know. I mean, you got a lot of fruit out there. You know, it's almost like you have too much fruit and you're doing stuff with it, but you're making great products. So, what's your, what's your, your take on it? Yeah, you know, um, g- going to what Dan said, we. Uh, New York grows a, a completely different varieties. The major varieties in New York are definitely not the major varieties in, in Oregon and Washington, primarily Washington. Washington, 95 or something percent of all the apples that are grown in Washington, maybe 99, are five varieties. Fuji, Gala, um, Golden Delicious, Red Delicious, and uh, Granny Smith. And there's a little bit of Pink Lady and a couple of other minor ones. And those apples by themselves do not necessarily, if you just take those apples and ferment them, they do not make um, the same... Uh, interesting level of cider as you would if you took Baldwin and Macintosh and Cortland and just fermented those by itself. So, um, but we grow such an incredible volume of apples. Washington State grows more apples than the rest of the country combined. New Yorkers think they grow a lot of apples. Y'all don't yeah, grow any yeah, apples. No we grow all the apples. <laughs> mm-hmm. But as a, as a result, we ha- we have we have excellent quality eating apples available at a very low cost year round. Um, the quality of the eating apples is so high, instance that, for instance, that most of most of Eastern Asia buys our eating apples from Washington State. So we grow in, in, ex- exceptionally high quality, extremely low cost fruit. So uh, fundamentally, though, cider is a regional drink. Wherever you wherever apples are grown, ciders are made, and um, they make them according to the style of the apples that they have and the temperature they have and the microflora that they have. So um, I think it's it's another example of this country being a very big country. Um, and in, in a lot of ways, the, the, the apples, the ciders that we're making in the Northwest are a product of the Northwest. Um, the unique situation that we have with regards to the fruit and the other, um, you know, beer culture, strong beer culture that we have. And, you know, the apples that are grown here are completely different varieties and that we have a different apple culture here. So in the same way that New York is kind of a melting pot for a lot of food and a lot of culture, I think it's really cool to be here and have it be a bit of a melting pot for cider as well. Yeah. Actually, one point on that is that one apple that you do have out there, which we don't have as much access to, is you have 500 acres of Newtown Pippins out there, right? Exactly. And, and I, actually, the cider I'm drinking right now is 100% Newtown Pippins. Okay. Yeah. Newtown Pippins is actually a, a, a New York apple. Right. Um, and it grows very... In the, the Five Boroughs apple. It's in Queens. Yeah, it's, it's a Queens apple. Yeah, yeah. Newtown Creek, right over there. Yeah. yeah near. What, what percentage of... of Apple trees in America are true cider trees. Oh, zero. zero. Not even marginally zero. It, 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 it is growing. Suppose actually, I, I subscribe to the to American Fruit Growers magazine. <laughs> Sorry, and actually, I have an why orchard. are we laughing at that? <laughs> I have an orchard. We're supposed to be in awe of you, man. <laughs> but I have an orchard where I grow 150 varieties. Because he lives in Manhattan. That's why. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> and four uh, percent of last year's plantings were cider apples. I don't oh, know wow. how, that's a lot more. I so I don't know how they're defining cider apples. Um, but so that number is going to grow. So. Well, h- how large is Farn- is, is uh, Poverty Lane Orchards? It's like fifty acres. I'm not actually sure. This Farnham Hill in so, New Hampshire. Yeah, he's anyway. That's the largest planting of apple orchard of cider varieties yeah. in the United States. But, uh, but sorry, actually, one thing. Now I'm going to point to you. You continue with this. I feel like we've talked before, and you know people in Washington which are growing cider apples. Yeah, right? there, there's a, there are growers in Washington yeah. who have cider apples that. 
they don't use and that are available on the market for a, a fair price and no one's buying them. Sure. So I don't think for a long time there was this message, uh, particularly in the Northwest, I can't speak so much for the East Coast, but in the Northwest there was this message that um, the cider industry is being handicapped because we don't have access to cider-specific varieties. That's no longer the case. American, oh, excuse me, West Coast drinker preferences have said, we want cider made with grocery store apples. That's what we want. Um, and as a result, people are, are not, I, I do not think that any apple growers should rush out and plant cider varieties on the West Coast. I, there's no market for it. There's apples that are sitting on the market and no one's buying them. One more comment about West Coast. Um, a very interesting thing that's happened changing in the West Coast right now is that um, in 2018, uh, 40% of nursery shipments are going to be a new apple called the Cosmic Crisp. Mm. Right, which yeah. is an eating so, apple, though. It's an eating apple. So I'm sort of curious if that's going to be maybe marginally better than maybe some of the other apples. Well, I don't know if it is or not. If you could, but. if you take Honeycrisp, I right. think Cosmic is a spur of uh, right. It's, it's it all is, spur, yeah. it is all yeah. Spur, Honeycrisp yeah. makes absolutely atrocious cider. Yeah. zero flavor. It's an amazing eating apple. It breaks off like an iceberg in your mouth, and it's super flavorful, but uh, terrible, terrible. But cider. you know, one thing about the Honeycrisp <laughs> is the grand, uh, the grandfather of the Honeycrisp is the as the frostbite, frostbite yeah. which is a great. Cider apples, so yep. you you know you can. It could come back around. Matt, you know you're you're a beer guy. You serve cider out in, uh, in in Bend, Oregon. You know, what do you take from this conversation? I mean, have you had conversations about apple varieties? And- yeah, you know, I am a beer guy. You're right. Um, but the uh, the whole cider game, it, it it's been interesting to see it all come around. Um, for me, what I like is a lot of things what uh, what Nat's doing, especially with the uh, so some of these barrel aged different hop ciders and uh, different uh, fruited ciders. So it's uh, it's something that interests me, and uh, we are surrounded by a lot of good apples up in uh, especially in uh, Washington. So it's interesting to see the different varieties being used. And uh, so, what are some other fruits that that you guys use? And even though Gideon, I know you you have like an elderberry cider. What are some other typical, and, and even for you, Dan, like at Wasail, you know, the temple, um, you must have some non-apple Yeah, for sure. Ciders. Like, there's some things like, like, like pears and quinces and palm fruits that they make amazing cider with. Um, elderberries, which are pretty co- not common here, but definitely people do make elderberry ciders and things like that. They're really cool. Are there um, some examples, some producers? Uh, Aaron Bird makes an elderberry, elderberry one. Uh, Red, Eric at Redbird made, made a quince one two years ago that was really awesome. He couldn't get quince the last few years, but that was an amazing cider. Um, we usually also have like a, some some hop cider or something like that on draft that will also big have those kind of flavorings and yeah. things like that to it. And then Kiran, you you've also you have a elderberry cider out. Um, I have an elderberry cider. Um, I just released a um a blackberry cider specifically made with mar- marion bar- berries. Oh, cool. Um, so I've definitely introduced some. There, there's absolutely a market for a variety of fruit ciders. And just to be clear, though, cider means uh, fermented apple juice with other flavors. So a blackberry yeah. cider is fermented apple juice uh, with blackberry added. So it isn't just made purely from blackberries. And then what about you? So out there you're getting you got apples. Well, you get- so here's an interesting sort of counterpoint. We're drinking a cider right now called Wooden Hellfire, and it's available only to uh, club members. Um, we don't sell it in stores. You have to join my club, and then I'll ship it to you direct. This cider is only apples. Um, and it's kind of far away from the flavor of um, typical cider. We take Newtown Pippin, which Gideon mentioned is a, originally a New York apple, um, 100% Newtown Pippin. We actually take it to a brewery um, in Portland, and we boil it for 18 hours. So that reduces it um, in, to one-third of its original volume, concentrates the sugars, gets this really molassesy. Um, really dark, Danny. Might bitter, have more of this bitter chocolate. Yeah, go with caramel. This is funny. We had the, the Redbird was it Redbird Stillhouse? 
Still Barrel. Still Barrel. That was so tannic. It started with original sin that was so like crisp, and this that was like tannic. And now this is like massive. <laughs> so this is sixteen percent ABV. Wow. We ferment it after it's gone through that intense boil period. Um, it, the color, by the way, what color is this? Not black. This is like molassesy. It's like watered down molasses color. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we. Um, and then we bourbon barrel aged it for a year. So this sat in uh, Woodford Reserve bourbon barrels for a year. And this is really going back to you know the the, the concept with of beer. You and know what this sounds like? That's all the wood, yeah. man. <laughs> There's so much wood in this. The, the, the relationship that we have with beer, certainly producers in the West, is like it's very common. How many breweries in the West have not used a, made a bourbon barrel aged beer? Like, have you guys made one, Matt? Probably zero. Probably we, zero. we made a ton. Yeah. Yeah, and so I mean, I, I I spoke with brewers. I was like, "Hey, how long do you put it in a bourbon barrel? Where do I get access to the bourbon barrels?" I didn't talk to like wine producers asking for wine barrels. I um, this is in a lot of ways this is sort of a cider for a an imperial bourbon barrel aged imperial stout for cider drinkers. In a lot of ways, yeah, it has that kind of similar texture to it. But it, but the funny part about it is it's one hundred percent apples, no added yeah. sugar, no water, no hops, no molasses, none of that stuff. Well, it has all those like, awesome caramelly flavors and things Tons like that yeah, to it. Yeah. yeah, I find it very smooth and drinkable, person. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah I'd, I'd say it definitely has some more, a lot of similarities with barrel-aged beer versus your typical cider. Right. So these are these are exciting stuff. That yeah. And over, over the last couple of years at Wasail, you know, what, what's the range? I know you've had Pomo and you had, you've had Quince ciders, but what's the range of styles that you've carried? Because I always think of like kind of like... Orchard, yeah, know, for sure. Like wine style. Our focus is styles. very much like on, on like East Coast New England style, like high acid um, orchard based ciders. Very much kind of our focus and things, and that's kind of what we're very much going for. And I, we d- we d- generally don't stray that far off into other flavored ciders and things like that. Uh, we generally kind of stay to that that kind of like that profile of like fruit forward or fruit centric style of ciders. Yeah, Nat, this is massive. Yeah, this, <laughs> I, mean, it's, I like it too. It is sixteen yeah. percent. You're making me. You know, the other guy, the brewery, Patrick Rue out of uh, Southern yeah. California. You know, he had a, he has some lines where he's like eighteen percent. Like, right. I don't know how he does it. Black it's Tuesday, like dark and yeah. you know, but you can't stop drinking it. So how long does it take to ferment? Great Tuesday, Great Monday. Um, uh, about four months. Okay, it's a super slow ferment. We don't manage the temperature at all, but there's just so much sugar can be a little bit of an inhibitor to fermentation yeah. if there's large amounts. This started out at 30 bricks. Well, the juice was 12 bricks. And then after the boil, it was almost 30 bricks. And then it finished at 9 bricks. So there's quite a bit of residual sweetness in yeah. um, this finish. Uh, Nat, is, now, the, this is only available to club members. Do you have to be in the greater Portland area to be a club member? Or you should no, we or? actually ship to New York State. You do? Um, okay. So if you join the club, I will put it in a box and I will ship it to you. Okay. And you pay shipping. So I'm not upcharging anything. It's, you know, it's a fairly reasonably priced. Now, what else are you doing in New York this week? I mean, you've got some launches. Right. I was actually in Boston last week for a beer advocate event. Um, and then uh, I was in Long Island yesterday. Uh, tonight, uh, I'm actually taking the night off. I'm going to do some laundry. Um, I'll be in uh, Cooper's Hall, Chelsea, on Wednesday. Um, I'll be at the Owl Farm on Thursday. And then Saturday is a big cider event. Um, the um, Pour the Core. Pour the Core, Brooklyn Expo, Green I Point. believe. Yep. And then Friday night. Friday night is at Jimmy's. Jimmy's number 43, Cider Maker Night. Exactly. We've got a guest chef. We'll have some duck dishes. And, and I'm actually going to bring cool. one of these bottles of Wooden Hellfire to your event on Friday. So if anybody's really excited to try it. And we'll, we'll have uh, at least six of your ciders on. We'll also have original scent. We'll be popping some. Old fun stuff like West County and Eden. So. There will, I, I guarantee, there will not be a more exciting cider event on Friday 
That's than right. at Jimmy's. There's no possible. <laughs> anyone way. come to town for pour the court, yeah. you should stop by and, and check. And not out. just mine. Yeah, like you said, a bunch of other producers will be will have cider there too. You know, the other thing I want to ask you guys, you guys, you have all these business questions because so much of, of now we're talking about cider and beers is business. You know, and you you had a question earlier about the sizes of cans, Matt. Correct. Yeah, just uh, the 16 ounces, um, the original sins in 16 ounces versus 12 ounces. West Coast, we're a big 12-ounce market. I've noticed the East Coast is more 16-ounce, especially with a lot of the breweries doing these can releases. So, um, You know, I would say with that that, um, you know, historically for cider, a number of ciders that were successful in this country were 16-ounce, which would be your Blackthorn Strongbow. So the 16-ounce was an acceptable format. Um, you see in Chicago specifically, as well as some of the national brands like Seattle Sideworks or Vandermill, a brands that have done exceptionally well in 16-ounce. But I think it's very similar as well as what you said, that a lot of distributors are calling for 12-ounce, and there is slowly a move from 16-ounce to 12-ounce as an accepted format for cider. So, well, Why do you think that's the case? Um, I think, you know, it's, it's a price point... Um, you know, issue, and maybe just 12 ounce. Well, certainly one thing is for the whole craft beer movement as well, you can't accept, you can't separate cider from the craft beer movement. And, you know, I walk in distributors, let's say my distributor in Nashville, Tennessee, where everything is canned. So just beyond the 16 ounce and 12 ounce, there's a, a gravitation towards cans as a format. Um, and it just so happens that, that 12 ounce is probably a more accepted format in the craft beer industry. There are, there are a couple from a producer's point of view. I deal a lot with spreadsheets in my, in my particular business. Um, there is a slight cost advantage to being in a 12-ounce can. A, a, the 12-ounce, the just the can without the liquid inside, is about, depending on who you're, who you're um, buying it from, what your volumes are, it can be a couple of pennies cheaper than a 16-ounce can to purchase. Um, and obviously, that's that, a couple of pennies times 24 in a case that can actually add up to some, some real money. So the 12-ounce can is just a more popular can regardless of what's in it, whether it's beer or cider or even wine, energy drink, whatever. Um, so it's, it's, easy, it's easier to drink more. I can drink two, three, yeah. four. <laughs> hey, we're going to take one more short break. We'll be back. Another segment. We have a lot more to talk about on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. I'm Mary Izet. And I'm Rachel Jacobs. And we're hosts of Ferment Ferment About It, It, a weekly journey of all things fermented on Heritage Radio Network. Tune in on Mondays at 7 p.m. to hear about all things fermented, from sauerkraut to sourdough and all things between. Support our show and all of Heritage Radio Network's programming. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Check us out, heritageradionetwork.org. You can become a member. A lot of benefits, including hanging out in the studio with the Beer Sessions Radio. You remember, stop by any time, bro. Meet us at Roberta's 4.30 on a Tuesday night, and you can sit in with us. But Nat, the next, next beer. Reverend Nat is launching in New York City. Welcome, dude. It's been two years. Long overdue. Thank you. We brought five products to the market. Uh, Revival Hard Apple is our traditional um, drinks like a cider, apple-wise. Uh, we have Sacrilege Sour Cherry, which has three kinds of cherries in it, um, and a little bit of chili pepper. Most people can't taste the chili. It's just a little drying effect. Uh, our classic Hallelujah, Hallelujah Hopricot, my favorite to drink. Apricot. Little uh, little apricot and Cascade Hops. Um, G- Deliverance Ginger Tonic, which is more like a cocktail in a bottle. It's got ginger, and we make our own tonic water in there. 
Uh, the last one was our summer seasonal, Viva La Pineapple, about 30% fresh pineapple juice. We're not drinking those. We're drinking our tent show member-only series right now. So but what's this one? This last one. It smells like Christmas. Like I got here for you. It's called yeah. Lavinda Grand right, John. Yeah. yeah. It's called Lavinda Grand John. It's, um, you can't, by the way, nobody can buy this one anymore because it's sold out, but I just brought it for us to drink. It's actually not a cider, and I think that kind of draws, um, you know, brings in the conversation of, of East versus West again. I mean, are, are there any producers, you know, in, in New England, New York, who are um, not making cider but are making, you know, essentially fruit wines? I don't very few. But I make uh, a couple of pineapple products that are only pineapple, fermented uh, traditional um, rural Mexican Mexican product called tepache, and this actually is a um, just pomegranate wine and a little bit of apple eau de vie, which is like apple brandy. Um, pomegranate wine, you know, like pomegranate juice fermented becomes pomegranate wine, um, and then aged in a burgundy barrel, topped off with some prune juice and spices. And while it was in the burgundy barrel, it went sour, so it tasted a lot like a Flanders sour ale when it was in the bourbon barrel or burgundy barrel sorry and then i went a little bit of a mulled wine direction with the prune juice and nutmeg you know like beer overlapping with cider like like i'm more with dan when i think of cider i think of farnham hill and black duck and Redbird, bird like yeah. you know orchard base wine style ciders and um gosh but it's like it seems like there's graft in the hudson valley now in new york where it's like the, the beers if you didn't know it you think you think the ciders were beers yeah, very much so. Like craft, especially like those are beer. Uh, those are beer ciders. They taste kind of like they fall into this weird yeah, it goes ground. Goes you, a cider. Yeah, you, you drink it, you're like, oh, I wasn't not quite sure. I guess the acidity and the finish tastes like cider, but like, oh, I guess this is kind of a beer. Um, this is really cool, though. And some of that, some of that beer cider blend, sort of hybrid approach, I think, might, might come from the gluten free business. Kind of like, uh, you know, I'm gluten free, but I, and I love beer. What do I drink? Well, I don't want to just drink woodchuck. I want to drink something that kind of drinks like a beer. So yeah. I think that's a good benefit to graft. And that's cert- I wouldn't say I'm targeting, um, you know, gluten free folks, but I am. Um, you know, I'm, I, I think I said it already. I'm primarily a beer drinker. Ninety-five percent of what I drink is beer, and the rest of it's Reverend Nat. So I want the same. I want a similar sort of experience. I want to check some of the same boxes as I'm drinking my ciders. I mean, some people say, you know, I, I talk cider, but then I drink beer. Is there any truth in that, Dan? That's a lame question. But. I know. Uh, yes, yeah, certainly. Like if I'm not working, I'm definitely drinking beer or wine or something else. I'm usually generally not drinking. Actually, I remember hearing a story from Peter Mitchell, who taught an uh, English professor who taught a lot of Americans how to make cider, and he would say that for cider, you know, ninety percent of the job is cleaning, and at the end of the hard day of cleaning, we sit down and drink beers. <laughs> um, but I also want to say for Reverend Nat, I've known Reverend Nat for a while. And he's always been one of the most charismatic voices in this industry and really at the cutting edge of making really interesting products. Mm. So these products are clearly very distinct and so much different than what we're making on the on these coasts. A quick big shout-out. So as part of the show tonight from Bend, Oregon, Crux. Yes, Matthew. sir. Tell us about Crux quickly. And now we're, now we're drinking beer. So we, got, we did the hard work tasting all the ciders. I, ha- I hated pouring out your last one. Mm. The you're a professional though, the Jimmy. Pomegranate, the <laughs> Grand, Eau de Vie, yeah, prune juice. Yeah. The prune juice really blah. got me. I loved it. Yeah, prune really in the finish. And yeah, it's really it nice. nice. Yeah, that and again, that one was very similar to some of the flavors you get out of uh, some barrel aged. But beers. you're also so this is kind of fun. But you're also launching in New York City this week. Absolutely, you're like here with Union Beer. Absolutely, yep. Like Nat, we're just now launching our beer into the market. So uh, we're launching our Gimme Mo Mosaic IPA, which we are drinking right now. It's a mosaic forward. 
a really easy drinking IPA that doesn't have that huge West Coast bitterness on it. Um, and that's been one of our most popular beers. Brought in a porter, our half hitch mosaic imperial IPA is in the market as well. Um, and we also have our cast out, which is Southern Hemisphere Galaxy Hopped IPA. Now you're, you're, we, you said mosaic twice in those beers. Can we, can we talk a little bit about mosaic? I use a little mosaic in one of my starters as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. We're, yeah, right. we're, we're, we're big mosaic fans at Crux. Um, it's a hot hop on the West Coast. Uh, it gives you a ton of flavor. It's really floral, really fruity, and uh, we use it in a, uh, multiple beers, our two distributed beers, the Gimme Mo that we're drinking now and our Half Hitch Imperial IPA. Uh, we have huge fans of both of those beers, and I think it's strictly due to the Mosaic hops. And the, and the Mosaic is not, we're not getting into Chinook Pine World. We're not getting into Cat Pea. You know, there's... Talking about the flavor a little bit more on Mosaic? Yeah, just some uh, really fruity. You get some berry notes on there. Um, we use a lot of whole leaf hops in the hop back, so we're not a big uh, we're not a big pellet hop brewery. And so you get that big, big fruit forward kind of. You know, Matt, I'm going to tell you, you're, you're going to come back and do a whole show about Bend, Oregon. Anytime. Are you guys anywhere near uh, Fort Hood, uh, Full Sail? Hood River. Uh, Hood River. Hood River. Yeah, we're about uh, two and a half hours south. So if the uh, if it's a uh, target, the state of Oregon, where the bullseye, right in the, nice. right in the middle. And, and what's the porter again? Uh, PCT Porter, so named after the uh, Pacific Crest Trail that runs from Mexico to Canada and goes right through Bend. Welcome to New York City. I'm going to go you. back to the Cider Boys because I, I got Dan here, also Dan Pucci. You know, I'm dying to ask you something. So, yeah. you know, we talked about Reverend Nat's Cider Ceremony. I think a lot of people want to know about what, what are the good ciders in the world, you know, how to taste cider. I know you've been the leader in it. You know, what's one of a typical... Dan Pucci cider tasting. If, if you're going to do it this weekend, say it's me, and I'm like, oh, I want to cook some like duck and trout, you know, like we're doing Friday night at Jimmy's number forty three. Sure, sure, sure. So um, my general like cider tasting thing, I run through. Um, I do a lot of more like American ciders, so I drink something like oh, start with something like like original sin or something like that that has this really like primary fresh flavors that are really like fruity and clean and primary, and then I move into something a little more like. Um, savory and complex, like some of the things like something from the uh, Finger Lakes, like something from like Eves or something like that. It has a little more like, complexity to it, a little more savory components to the whole thing. Um, usually relies more on like American heirloom varieties. Uh, then I move on to something that has more bittersweet character to it, like something like uh, Farnham Hill or Eden that has more of those kind of more savory, earthier, bittersweet characters to it. Um, then I usually think kind of, kind of funky. Like uh, like black duck or sometimes some West County bottlings that have some like Brett or you know odds and ends here that have a little more funky things to it, um, and then finally you can move into like more European styles like like Oliver's or a French cider or something Spanish at the end of that. I want to give a big cheers to Wasail. You know, you guys opened a little over two years ago. You were pioneers, and uh, because of it, I met so many great cider makers like Reverend Nat. Once you guys opened, every week you had different cider makers coming in from around yeah, the country. Yeah, a long time. You did yeah. a lot of shows on Beer Sessions Radio. So thanks, man. You really thanks, did sir. a great job and you kind of paved the way. Um, you know, get on you, like, um, you know, from first meeting you in the, around 2001 or something, you were, I used to argue with you because you said, oh, I thought your marketing was wrong. <laughs> you know, the sexy sin lady. And I was like, no, you got to be more like wine. But you, you're, you're there, man. You've been through so much. I mean. You know, what's new now? I mean, you've got your cans, you're doing New York State, you've got an orchard. 
you know, how are you still selling like in other states? You, you know, not selling in Japan. Let's talk about that. Selling Actually, your product uh, uh, around uh, we, the world. We, uh, we sell in Japan, England, Hong Kong. Um, you know, for me, new. I I have a lot of. Uh, we have a, a couple of new products coming out, which I'm excited about. Um, our orchard is awesome. I think anybody who's in this industry who's got involved in raising apples and spent the time to identify the right types of soils and done the research have found that to be a pretty amazing experience. And I would say that having an orchard is as much um, avocational as vocational, and it's been a great deal of fun. Where's your orchard? Um, it's about 120 miles from New York City in Columbia County. Mm-hmm. And um, it's in a cold, it's a part of Columbia County. Part of Columbia County was known for its apple growing. But the part I'm in was more of a dairy section, and the apples. But that, but so my family used to have an old dairy farm, um, and but the orchard is done incredibly well. Apple the trees are done incredibly well on our orchard, and uh, this year, uh, every, you know, we, we I've made a big effort to find apples that um, maybe have been kind of lost to history. Apples that are either interesting in taste or interesting for cider or historically significant in terms of their uh, importance, and try to bring them. Uh, back into production, and it's been fun every year, kind of raising the trees and tasting these apples. And you're something so. of an apple historian. You presented at the uh, recent CiderCon uh, in February in Chicago on the history of the ap- apples in the U.S. Is, am I right about that? Uh, I did. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, today uh, 12 apples represent um, 88 percent of production as according to, uh, as of 2016, but there are over you know 7,500 apples um, in existence today, as opposed to the golden age of, of apple pomology in America, which is, was a, about the point of the Civil War, where there was as many as twenty thousand known varieties. Wow! So um, a, a, over seventy, which means over sixty-five percent of apples that once grown in this country have been lost to history. And most um, of those, a lot, a lot of that was prohibition, right? Uh, a lot of farmers grew apples for cider making. Prohibition um, chopped it them down. It was part prohibition, but partially. partially you start getting into foodie culture and part of just developing a more monolithic attitude towards food consumption yeah. where people just wanted a yellow, green, and red apple in the supermarkets as opposed to apples that might not be as phenotypically in appearance as, uh, um, appealing. And l- large, much larger flavor. farms and yeah. larger yeah. production. And yeah. shipping. You know, everyone shipping. wanted shipping, yeah. storage. Yeah. But like I grow, I say I grow 30 apples that are better taste than anything you'd ever get in the supermarket. Yeah, I was so. just told that it's like, kind of like the the changes, like prohibition's like really, and like, prohibition's really the, like nail in the coffin for cider, but really like the railroads and things like that, yeah. and the urbanization of America really like yeah. kind of was like the real death of it. Yeah, and it was, the, but you have to say the one thing about agriculture, if you, anyone has, who's tried agriculture before, it's hard to make a profit, so it's hard to blame farmers for trying to figure a way to make things as simple as po- po- uh, possible and as obviously in a way to make uh, it, it profitable to, to farm. I have a question for you two guys about um, how is the cider market different throughout the, throughout the country? Like how radically different are state, is state to state the markets for cider? And what, like, what language do you have to use in each market to kind of like bring people to cider and to your products? When I started selling cider um, in, in Portland, you know, in the back of my truck, right, um, driving around selling them case by case, I thought that everyone would, that, that the rest of America would eventually um, be exactly like Portland. Because in Portland, we're all sort of, sort of assholes. We think that, right? I mean, <laughs> we think that we know the best, the best and we drink the best and we are the best. Um, and there's some, some small amount of truth in that. But um, we, um, uh, and I think, I think the, the reality is that uh, America is a huge country. 
and every market is completely different. And even the markets as far as like Portland is different from Seattle, Seattle is different from Spokane, Seattle is different from um, Bellingham. I was just in Boston over the weekend, completely different market. Manhattan is different from Brooklyn, Brooklyn is different from Long Island. Uh, I think that, it, you know, in a lot of ways, we're still so, so early in the cider world that um, people grab onto little tiny things that they that they know, and that becomes their cider world, right. as opposed to beer, where there is, you know, there is no periodic table of cider. Um, there is, there, you know, the, the, they go to the, a good bookstore, and there's six cider books, as opposed to six shelves of beer books. Um, you know, the average level of intelligence, or allowed, excuse me, average level of knowledge for a craft beer drinker is far higher than the average level of knowledge for a cider drinker. Um, you know, most beer drinkers know what an IBU is. And um, uh, we, you know, most cider drinkers only speak in dry and sweet, and that's all they speak in. So I don't know if there is any sort of. Um, obviously, that's a we drink. Point. We, it's also, you know, you need the benchmarks. That's why, like, after, you know, 20 years later, people know I, I know a Sierra Nevada. I've had a six point. You can say a style that you know what to expect. But right. you're right. And, and this original sin, I think, is arguably, um, you know, a style, a reference point. I mean, I use it as a reference point in my classes. And. Uh, you know, when I use it as a reference point in my classes in Oregon, nobody's had it, and I'm like, "Wait, this is like the Sierra Nevada of cider, you guys." <laughs> I would say uh, one thing about that. One thing kind of interesting with the cider world today is is, is that um, things have become hyper local, um, so that even in Eastern Washington State, Oregon, they grow four. Washington State grows four times more apples than New York State, the second largest apple producing state. But you have areas like Texas um, and other non-apple-growing states where there now are significant numbers of local cideries. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one kind of um, element of the cidery that's really evolved. And you know, obviously in those areas, you know, th- there might be questions about where the apples are coming from, right. but still there's a lot of... Unlike breweries where everybody buys grain and yeah. hops from some other place. <laughs> yeah. you know? So Dan, you know, you're, you're, you're working out with, say, uh, Reverend Nats in New York City. W- which of his ciders would you... Served there, um, I really love the the wooden Hellfire, which is which is really cool. It's got so much like texture to it, and really good. I also love the Revival. It's a really awesome, like refreshing, delicious, like cider for uh, it can hit a, it can really hit hit a lot of different markets at the same time. It's really cool. And now, Matt, I know you're also talking about the bigger world of craft beer. The reason you're in New York is because what you came to DC. Yeah, we were in DC for Savor, which is an invite only uh, beer craft beer fest. Um, that they pair with food, and then jumped up to uh, New York City to launch the market. It's good stuff. I'm, I hate to close this out. We're just you know what happens? We just start warming up, and everybody's you know we gave a little shout out to a sale and Reverend Nats here in New York, and getting a big big applause. We need applause, David, for Gideon Call because that goes back to 1996, and he stuck through my criticism, and he keeps making better cider. Come on, bro, a pioneer and all that, but. Anything you want to say before we wrap it up? Because and you come to everything. You come to events. You come and, and give talks, like like Nat said on, on, on different, you know, historical apples. You know, uh, you're, fi- you're the final word, man. You're the one. Uh, you know, I appreciate all the support. Did you as ever well, think Jimmy? you'd be the dean of cider? I don't know if I'm the dean of cider. <laughs> dean of New York cider. It's all you. Bro. No, no, not about that either. But. Uh, you know, I appreciate this, Jimmy. I've known you for a long time. I appreciate the support. We've both seen the industry evolve so much. Um, I'm looking forward to our after party. We got a little Reverend Nat left. We got some awesome beer left. So it should be enjoyable. So. Right. 
Well, everybody, thanks for joining me. Hey, and uh, you know, I'm Jimmy from uh, Jimmy's Number Forty Three. Thanks to uh, Nat, Dan, Geden, and Matt for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. Big shout out to our producer Justin Kennedy and intern Hillary Fasson, and our engineer extraordinaire David Tadashore. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right, woo! listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.